Hello, everybody. Welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry. And all three of us are professional illustrators, and all three of us have worked for just about every major publisher in the business. We've all published somewhere between 50 and 70 books. The number always changes every mm-hmm. podcast, and mm-hmm. we've all Depends taught on illustri- what dimension you're in. Yeah, we've all taught <laughs> illustration at the university level. That at, is correct. Yeah. Each week, we're going to come at you <laughs> with a different topic in illustration that's fascinating, fun, and riveting to listen to. Sometimes we're going to agree, sometimes we're going to argue, but every single time, you're going to walk away with new knowledge. That's right. What so, new knowledge today? Well, oh, we got some good ones. The thing I want to know first, a little bit of follow-up. Sorry, this is going to catch you off guard here, but did your NFT ever sell, Lee? It did, $5,000. <laughs> I know that's not true because I would have heard about it the second it happened. <laughs> I am on board for the NFTs now. It has funded my child's college. And um, so, no, it didn't, it, it didn't sell. I, I didn't... You have to pay, Will was correct partially in that like, I, you can make the NFT oh. and, 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 <laughs> and, and market it in a very small way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really wanna put it out there to the big masses, you do have to pay a certain amount of, I don't know what they call it, like a fee or gas. You gotta add, add gas to the car, as it were. <laughs> ETH. <laughs> gotta get, add gas to the ETH. Um, but I didn't want to do that because I was just testing it out. So I just wanted to see how hard it would be to make it. So, so I'm just trying to give a disclaimer that it would have sold for mm-hmm. millions of dollars had I actually gone big with it. But I, but I, I kept it small and I didn't mm. sell it. Sorry about that, Lee. Or congratulations. I don't. I don't know. So. <laughs> well, it's he had he was in a win-win situation because if he sold it, he made money. And mm-hmm. who doesn't like money? But if he mm-hmm. doesn't, he gets to continue on his uh, his negativity towards NFTs. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be fair, I have negativity towards you, everything. You're so. in a win-win. That's a good space to be in. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Um, let's. We've got some questions today, but first, I think Lee, you had something you wanted to you wanted to talk about first. Well, this one's a, this goes along with it. It's a it's a question. Um, I'm going to make up the name who said it, because mm-hmm. we actually know the person who said it, but I'm just going to say his name is Dougie Fresh. And... <laughs> All right. <laughs> tell, us, tell us Dougie Fresh's... <laughs> Dougie Fresh um, his, his has, is, a new, is a new illustrator he, or, or <laughs> freelancer, and he's been doing it for less than a year. So what you're hearing is Jake's lemonade. I don't know why he's shaking it in I'm front stirring of the microphone. It. I like it stirred, not shaken. You just made you just made a lot of people thirsty. <laughs> it has ice in it. It's pink. It looks very delicious. It is. It's um, good. It's strawberry anyway, flavor. Anyway, du- so Dougie Fresh is in his first year of being a freelancer, and the taxes have just come around. We're we're filming this in what in April, mid April. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I know who you're talking about. Doing his taxes, and so so it caught him off guard, and he needs some help. It hit him. It hit him a little bit too hard, and that happens to a lot of people mm-hmm. as freelancers. Their first year in business, or what happens is they have a moderate amount of success, and then all of a sudden they have a big amount of success, and that one year changes how everything works, and so then they get hit pretty hard with it. Um, so the question is, what do you do to protect against that, and and how do you how do you deal with taxes on an ongoing basis as a freelancer? And that's kind of what I wanted to address. Can I give I my, some... my three, just really quick, my three things? Sure. Let's hear it. Swiss bank account. <laughs> Done. Puerto Rican uh, LLC. Cayman Islands. And only use Bitcoin as your currency. <laughs> well, now I don't have anything to say. That was my exact three that I was going to bring up. <laughs> you don't ever have to pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, no taxes. Well, and get your own personal lobbyists. Uh, no, Will, Will's oh, take on this is ta- taxes are unconstitutional and no one has to pay taxes. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, for real, for real. I don't want to okay. go too deep. We got to give okay. some real advice here. So, advice. so, So the, the poor man's way to do this is... I'll give you a couple of different versions of, mm-hmm. of, of advice. The poor man's version, the easy version, is as a freelancer, every time you get a check, take 30 to 35% of it 
and put it in a different account. Don't just think of it as being for taxes, literally take it out of your account. Put it in a savings account every time mm -hmm. you get a check and you'll be pretty okay at the end of the year. It's not mm -hmm. the total legal way to do it. You're supposed to pay quarterly taxes and that's important. Um, but if, you're, if, if, if it's between doing nothing and doing something, that is what you should do. And then at least you got this account, you know it's for taxes and it should cover you a little bit. You can still be fined for doing it that way a little bit if you end up owing. So, uh, so there's a little bit of an asterisk the, there, but the, the fines aren't as bad as uh, like like we hate the word fine, like you like mm -hmm. you got fined. Oh, it hurts, right? What does that even mean? But the from my experience, the fines aren't anywhere near as bad as like interest on credit cards. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. don't so think of it as it's not too bad. It's I a, went years yeah. I went years doing it that way and not paying quarterlies, not advocating even, that that people. Don't, you know, don't pay their taxes and end up getting fined. Not at all. I want to make that clear. But just don't. Um, don't you, yeah, you, you have to like it. look at your look at your options. If it's if it's a choice between living on credit cards because you put all this money in taxes and now you're paying credit card. Right. Um, you know, fees. Maybe you're better off. Uh, and that's actually a decision I made one year. And that's why I know I, I, yeah. I looked into it. We had credit cards and I could have put paid our taxes on the credit cards and then paid the interest. And I found out it was easier to pay not to run up the credit card paying taxes, but to just pay the taxes over time and catch up and pay the fines was much cheaper than paying on a credit card. Yeah. Most, most of the time, if you get in trouble with the IRS, you can contact them and work with them on a repayment plan. If, right. if, if that's the issue, a little bit different of an issue though. So let's not right. go too, too far down that road. Uh, but first idea is just save 30, 35%. Even more is better, but it's hard to do that. I understand how much that sucks. If you get a, you know, if you get a $5,000 check and then to take 30% yeah. of it and put it away and be like, okay, that's not mine. Well, you know, it's not fun to do, but that's what happens when you work at a regular place. Anyway, they just do it for you. Yeah. You have to, you have to figure, um, one rule of thumb is that if you were going to uh, work in a job and make, let's say $20 an hour, you know, so you're going to make $20 an hour, you're going to work a hundred hours. That's $2,000, right? Is that right? Am I doing the math right? Yeah. $2,000. So if you're that's if you're working for an employer and they're paying half of your FICA, your Social Security, and of course I realize we're talking to people in the U.S. because people overseas um, in other parts of the world, that your situation is going to be totally different. But just as a rule of thumb, if um, you are um, working independently, you have to pay fifteen percent. So when you work for an employer, they pay seven and a half percent of Social Security, and when you're on the lower economic um, uh, income area, FICA is usually the worst part of your taxes. I mean, that's usually the most expensive part is your, you know, they call them self-employment taxes. But um, that part is the the most. So you need to be charging more. So like if you're used to working for $20 an hour, you need to be charging $25, $30 an hour independently to make up for Yeah, just to be at the same fees. level. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The next level that I want to recommend, and this is this is what I truly recommend for everybody, even if you have a CPA, is uh, order the online version of Quicken Self-Employed. That is software. Uh, same people that do TurboTax and all that stuff. Um, it is the most. It is the most fluid, easy to use software. You just enter in your bank account, and it will calculate your. But you definitely want your own account for business. And it'll import those, it'll categorize those. And the best part is it'll say every single quarter, hey, you made this much, you owe the IRS this much, and it'll it'll literally to the dollar list out what you owe. And it's so accurate that it was it was within 50 bucks of what I owed last year after the entire year. Hmm. I mean, it is so close because it's real time, right? It's calculating, it sees the income that's coming in, it sees what you're, you're spending, so it takes all that stuff off. I'm not saying you have to use that to file your taxes. I do, I do it that way to file my taxes, but it's even better when if you're using a CPA, you just give him that, um, that login and he'll see everything and your taxes will be a breeze to do every year and you'll know exactly where you're supposed to be. And this, this software is like 20 bucks a month 
It is fantastic though. I mean, it is so user-friendly and I, I, I'm not getting a kickback. I just want to let everybody know that I don't get any discount even on the software or anything. Go to clickingbooks.com is... <laughs> slash Levi illustration to get your 10% off for the first month. <laughs> you can buy my NFT there as well. Um, no, uh, but it's, it's just saved my bacon so many times. Mm -hmm. over. I've used it for the past 10 years and, and I, I just can't recommend it enough for a freelancer. If you don't want to learn every nuance of tax law and all that stuff mm -hmm. it'll orient this to you um, for you pretty pretty well cool and what was number three or was that it it was uh, three either put it in the savings yeah. account or pay it quarterly through quicken quicken books uh yeah. freelance right what's it yeah, called quicken quicken freelancer or something quicken like quicken self-employed self-employed okay Quick and self-employed. It's online. It's easy. That's cool. The there, there's a third method, and that is just get a CPA, and mm -hmm. quarterly they will calculate it. That's the most expensive option, and that's also the hardest option because they got to go through all your stuff, ask you a bunch of questions. You got to get them receipts and all that stuff. Uh, so, so that's why I like the the quick and self-employed. So much easier. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, next question. Does I hope that helps out, Dougie Fresh. Dougie Fresh <laughs> should be good to go after that. <laughs> that, that sounds good. All right. So I've got a question here from GeoDraws. And GeoDraws uh, titled his question, Switching from Software Engineering to Art. And there's a little bit of background story here. I'm going to read through it because this is probably going to be something um, many of you have felt. I've felt this too. Uh, but he says here, so a little backstory. I'm 24 quit my software engineering job eight months ago to pursue my dream in animation and game industries. The goal is to become a concept artist at a studio and hopefully go indie and do freelance work primarily someday. Quote, or uh, in parentheses, I love staying home. I saved up enough to cover one year of expenses and also moved back home so I could probably go longer than that. So good job there. You know, you can create without having to worry about paying the bills. Um, working on my fundamentals and portfolio currently, also running a portrait account on Instagram. And he says, I live in Taiwan, by the way. Okay. The question is me graduating with the question is, me graduating with a computer science bachelor degree, a lot of my friends are software engineers in big companies and startups that make a lot of money. Like a CS master degree, new grad is making as much as a creative director, director with 15 years of experience. So someone coming out of school doing software engineering can make as much as a creative creative director um, after 15 years of experience. So he says, I've been thinking, even if I really break into the industry as a concept artist, I'll probably be making half of what I used to make as an engineer. And it makes me question if all this effort in practicing art is really worth it in the long run. Uh, that is a good question. Every time I hang out with my friends and just listening to them talking about their jobs, I couldn't help but wonder what it would be like and how much money I would have already made if I didn't quit my job. I guess the real question is whether it's worth it to pursue a career in art and probably failing, considering the opportunity cost of being an engineer. I'm still pretty passionate about VizDev concept art right now. I enjoy designing a character or an environment a hundred times more than designing a robust system. I remember one time I was listening to a song and all these ideas for an animated music video just started to pop up into my head. I was thinking how awesome it would be if I could do this for a living and even teared up a bit. I would go 100% for an artist route if money wasn't out, if money is out of the picture. It's just that every time I think about the practicality of an art career and money, I fall into this black hole of comparing myself to my peers and feeling really anxious about my path. Any advice? Thanks. Always enjoyed listening to you guys while I paint. So I checked out his Instagram account. It's at geodraws.art, and uh, he does have some some skills. I, I don't see, I see the the. It's a portrait account, so he's doing portraits. I want to see more um, of his like concept art, environmental stuff. And I think, I think, um, you know, looking at that, I'd say this guy has uh, potential. Uh, if he has the right training and does does things the right way. So let's say this guy can get a job as a concept artist. The question is, you know, is it worth it? What do you guys think? Is it worth it to pursue art and not make as much money? Or is it worth it to stay in a job you hate, but you, you, or you're you okay with, I guess, 
but um, you make a ton of money and you have much more financial stability. I have an answer. Hit me with it. <laughs> Take a hundred. What was his name? Uh, Geo Draws. Geo. Take a hundred people in his situation. Mm-hmm. As identical as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, out of that group, if the people that quit their job, um, uh, a smaller percentage is going to be successful in getting a job. And in what he's talking about in, in animation um, and, and being successful with it. Another group is going to um, wish they didn't quit because the, and maybe go back to engineering, maybe go back to a similar job. Um, and, and then various other outcomes. But my biggest question is why, well, I mean, I know the answer. Um, we are, we are so programmed to get a job. Um, but my question for him would be if ask yourself what you really want, is it the job? Is it the working at the company or is it the doing, making the the kind of art that you want to make? If it's Mm -hmm. making the kind of art you want to make, you can work the job, make the money. And then on the weekends or in the evenings, make the kind of art that you want to make. And if you're, if you can work with a team or if you can work, you know, with a partner or just yourself and make a product that you really want to make this a dream product. I mean, the, the software, the technology, the, the, um, the, um, the, the, the businesses that support uh, you like platforms like Kickstarter, they're there. You can, you can take things to market. Now you, in the past, this was true where if you didn't, if you didn't get a job doing the thing you wanted to do, there weren't really many options for you to ever, your artwork to ever see the light of day if it was in animation, but now you can. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, is it the, is it the, is the dream going to work for someone else and working on their project? And that might be, it might be the dream. But if it's not, if it's if it's just being able to um, make stuff that other people love, why, you can also have both. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty good, that- pretty good, pretty good answer. Sorry, you guys, I'm going to be coughing a little bit uh, because I have a little bit of a cold. So if I sound kind of funny, that's why <laughs> I got to <laughs> clear my throat. <laughs> um, Will has pretty good advice. Again, probably. Not, I got you all choked as- up. Not as good as my, my <laughs> advice. I always get choked up. Every time Will says something, I'm like coughing because it's such a weird way to answer the question. No, that's good. That's good advice. Um, I'm going to add to that, not actually change it, but add to it. The idea that you have to pick one thing over another is sort of an outdated, in my opinion, um, it's an outdated model of what jobs can be, especially if you have a big skill set in something that is really desirable, like engineering. I don't see why somebody in, in, in this person's position can't say, I'm gonna go part-time, you know, two days or three days a week in engineering and part-time as a concept artist. And then you can, you know, have, have test out both of those things. And then if the concept art hits, then you bail on the engineering. If, mm-hmm. if you find you're not really loving it or, or, or you're not achieving success in the art, you can go back into the engineering. But I, I, would, I would be reluctant to say stay in one that you don't like or jump ship and go all in on this other one. I think there's a hybrid model and I would really play with that over time mm-hmm. and see how it feels. Yeah. I think if um, financial security is such a, uh, is a, is a huge priority, um, you might not, I, I don't want to say there's no financial security in art or in working in games because I know, I mean, I've had, I've had security. I know many artists who do just fine, especially ones who work for video games or studios as concept artists, like you can make money to support yourself. But if you're, if you're wanting a certain level, if you're always going to be comparing yourself to these friends and you want the same level, and that is a priority for you, then this, um, uh, I, I, I got to say, like, you probably have to solve that problem first. Like that um, certain status that comes with a certain amount of money, 
the certain lifestyle that comes with a certain amount of money, like those sorts of things are, if they're always going to be like eating at you, I don't know that you're going to be, um, as creative as you need to be, take the kind of creative chances that you want to, that you might need to take. Um, if, if those things are again, like always, you know, in, in this sort of like, um, like, like base level of anxiety for you. Right. So I like Lee's answer, like try the hybrid model. Uh, I, I always tell people like, don't quit the thing that you're doing until your side thing becomes like, makes it impossible for you to do both. Right. Like if you're getting so much work on the side or you're getting such good opportunities on the side that it really makes sense to like quit that thing, then, then I say, go for it, you know, um, uh, take a chance and, and follow the thing that really has opportunity there. But if it's, um, you know, if it's like, I'm going to try this out for years, see how it goes. And there's really no like opportunity for you. You might get to the end of your year, haven't gotten a job yet, haven't gotten the proper training that you needed yet, have spent all your money and now you're, you're like, you have to go back to work and you're in probably in a worse place than if you had done, kept the job and, and, you know, devoted 20 hours a week at nights on the weekends to like trying to perfect and master your, master your craft. So there's probably just some, some of those things. And, and this is, I, I like Will's thing too, like pick a hundred people. Um, this isn't just Geo's problem in Taiwan. Like this is, I think everybody's problem who, who's trying to figure out how to make a, make it as a, a career in, in the, in a creative field. Um, so, so I, I say it, there's opportunity there. And if there's ability there, you have the ability, then, then, then it's something you can go for. And we live in a world now where there's more opportunity than there's ever been. There's also more competition than there's ever been. So you just have to be mindful mindful of those things. So I don't know, is that concise enough, concise enough of a, of an answer? I think so. It's, it's a question that so many people wonder, and I've heard that Mm -hmm. question so many times and it's, it's a reality because I mean, you, all of us are trying to make the best decisions for the future. You know, we want to, we want to know what is, is coming. And I can tell you from my career, there are certain certain um, uh, opportunities that showed up that I took that failed, and other opportunities that showed up that I took that turned out to be huge successes. And mm-hmm. if you had asked me, you know, a year before some of those opportunities, do you think you'll ever be doing this, that, or the other? Not a clue. So your life is constantly has the possibility of changing. New opportunities constantly have the uh, possibility of showing up, and um, we we don't really want to know the future <laughs> because mm-hmm. we can't we can't make it safe. We can't mm-hmm. we can't know, and we can't can't have the benefit of knowing if we made the perfectly right moves all along the way, and that's what makes it exciting. Uh, but uh, this is a good one because it's we can't answer it really. We we can't you know. I would say too, just as a little last little coda on the end of this is if you really like, okay, if it is like, I want to work in video games, I want to work on the next, you know, big release, or I want to be this concept artist and maybe it's, you know, animation or something like that. But if it is specifically like gaming, there's a school in Singapore called FDZ, it's, um, it's the FTC School of Design. It's started by Feng Zhu, who's a concept artist who, you know, I think has 20 or 30 years experience um, in the industry. But I've been watching the things that he's posted, the videos that he's posted online about what their students are doing, the success stories of their students. And if you want to get placed in a job um, after going to that school, I think for one or two years, you, they just have a 90% like placement rate. So, um, you have to move to Singapore, you have to study under those, under those guys, but, but that might be like a really good option for you. If, since you are based in Taiwan and Singapore's 
you know, a, a short flight away, you know, you'd still be close to family. It's a little bit different if you're like, I think traveling all the way from the U S when you already have so many options in the U S. Um, but that, that might be something to look at too, is, is getting, getting some really good, I would say concentrated training. Um, if you have some money to, to spend, I think, um, I think it's like $35,000 for, a um, for their enrollment, um, which if you get a job that pays, you know, three times that, um, in a year, then, then it's a really good investment on your time and, and money. Okay. Let's see here. Next question. This comes from Anshula and it says frustration, um, frustration at creating bad art and not knowing why it's bad. Okay. So, um, they say, I'm using SVS to help make better comics. Thanks a lot for the helpful question, or classes. I've gotten to a point where when I don't like a comic page I just created, 50% of the time I could pinpoint the exact composition or drawing element that isn't working. However, the other 50% of the time it's just horrible and I don't know why. I get discouraged and frustrated because all I can do is throw it away and start from scratch. How do people get past this and end up with a finished piece? The work seems too much, too premature to post on the SVS forums for feedback. So all I do is repeatedly throw things away and start from scratch blindly without knowing what to change this time. What do you guys think? How do you get over that? Um, 50% I know what to fix, 50% I have no idea. So I'm just gonna start over. I'd say that is an indication of maybe not knowing exactly what you're trying to do with that piece of art, whether it's a comic or an illustration, book illustration or whatever. Um, I always recommend starting out with keywords and things I'm trying to accomplish. And, and so we actually did this as a test in one of the back, I was teaching a background painting class mm -hmm. and we would list the keywords and if, the, if it was gonna be a you know, scary background, a frightening and a, uh, you know, I don't know what another, keyword for that would be um, dangerous uh, yeah. background. Um, and so the people would have, artists would write those keywords, they draw the background, we'd project the background up on the screen, and then everybody would have to guess what the keywords were. And if the background didn't match the keywords, if people were saying something totally different than those words, or you know the sentiment behind those words, they missed the mark. And we knew, you know, exact, then we talk about how to get it, get it there. And so I guess that would be my advice here is, do you know where you're going before you're drawing the stuff that you're drawing. Because if you end up and you're like, well, I don't know why it's bad, my first question would be, does it answer the question um, that you're trying to ask? Does it answer Does it answer the goal that you want to move, the, how you want to move the story forward? I mean, there's always going to be something you're trying to say. And that would be my first question is, am I saying the thing I want to say? And if not, start working backwards from there. And then it mm -hmm. becomes easier, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, what, if, what about you, Will? If you um, if you were to look at all the people that have great storytelling skills and great compositional skills and great drawing skills, those are those are the three main skills you need to to do illustration, right? Mm -hmm. You need to, you need to start with a great concept, a great idea, story. You need to be able to compose it in a way that is organized in, on your paper that is logical, that conveys that story. Cause you have the idea of the story. And sometimes you have this amazing gem of an idea and you can't pull it off. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you just can't put it into the visual. So you're starting with this gem. And I've even, I remember early on having this great idea and having to illustrate it like three, two or three times. And sometimes with spans of a year in between or two years <laughs> where I came wow. back to it to make a portfolio piece. Cause I'm like, that was a great idea. And I messed it up. And, and coming back to it and redoing it again and actually uh, having great success um, doing the same piece again. So, and then you have to have great um, drawing skills. So if you looked at all the people that have the those skills who look at an assignment, who take that assignment, whether they give it the assignment to themselves or they get it from a client and have confidence and they move forward and they create a great piece time after time, Every one of those people are most likely going to have more hours in than you. So um, you, it's really a an equation of getting 
more hours and going through those frustrations. The good news, and I and I've said this many times, there have been times where I have torn up. This was way back in the day. I I'm working on a piece. I'm painting it. Those of you who can identify with this will know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But you're drawing it and you're telling yourself, you're trying to convince yourself that it's good enough to keep working on. You keep working on it. You keep pouring more time into it. And you keep doubting it because you know it sucks deep down inside. But you're trying to pull it out of a dive and you just can't. And finally you get to a point where I've shed tears and anger and frustration and, and ripped it up. You know, And my wife's like, well, you know, and I'd ask her. Well, what do you think? And she's like, ah, you know, and just that sound. (laughs) And I'm like, that's it. Rip, you know, and tear it up. And because I knew all along and, you know, then I, you know, and a couple of times I'll admit I got frustrated with her. She's like, look, don't ask if you don't want the truth, you know, and I'm like, damn it. I need the truth, you know, but I hate the truth at the same time. You're going through. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And. And so you, so when you're in that mode, I can tell you it's, it's frustrating and it's hard and it's heart wrenching. The good news is that if you care that much to where you're frustrated, that means Mm -hmm. you care enough to do what it takes to learn how to fix those problems. And it really is an amount, it's an, it's a number of drawings and paintings that you have to do and you have to care enough when they're not turning out good to ask why to figure out what you did wrong and to figure out what to do on the next, the next one to do better. And when you do that, you'll eventually switch over and you won't have that problem anymore. You'll conquer it and you'll go, wow, I, I can't believe that I used to be in that, in that situation where paintings just didn't turn out half the time. You know, I want to say, I think there's a little bit of danger too in editing yourself a little too harshly. So, uh, the fact that that there's stuff that you don't want to share on the on the forum or share anywhere for feedback, um, it's like now you're you're actively like working against yourself to get feedback on how to make it better. Like you said yourself, I don't know what's wrong with this, but I just know it's not even good enough to show anybody. Show it to somebody, share it with people, and get that feedback. And, uh, and, and that might be the, the key to like getting over this hump and, and getting to where a hundred percent of the time, you know, what's wrong with it or 90% of the time, you know, what's wrong with it and how to fix it. Um, that's why I always, you know, for, since I've been working professionally now, um, I've been like reminding myself always finished, not perfect. It just has to be finished. I'll worry about perfection later, right? And and I look at every one of my pieces, and they're not perfect. I see things I wanna I wanna fix, I wanna change. But what I could do is is point to a body of work that is essentially me getting better and better and better because I'm putting myself out there. I'm getting that feedback, mm-hmm. um, and I'm and I'm and I'm making things. So I think step one of this is just Instead of trying to rework something, rework something, rework something, finish it, put it out there, move on to the next thing, get the feedback from before, and apply that that knowledge to the next problem you're trying to solve. I've recently been listening to um, a biography on Walt Disney, and and he was like this. The guy was was brilliant, a creative genius. Um, and you, you look at all these problems that he solved and, and I think we take like the world we live in for granted. Like I'm realizing now, like if he didn't exist, um, if there was no like Disney, no Disney cartoons, I I don't know that we would have feature, feature films that Mm. are animated. Like, I don't Mm. know if we would, they'd be like, they'd be put back, you know, We'd be we'd be having our first one in maybe the seventies or maybe the eighties, not the not the thirties, <laughs> like what he did. He advanced that medium so well. But when I when I was, I was sitting there thinking, like, how many short films did he direct before he ever did Snow White? And there was seventy five Silly Symphonies short animated 
films, each six minutes to 12 minutes. There were a hundred and I want to say over a hundred Mickey Mouse shorts that, that he directed or had played a, a role in it. And his animators as well. Um, there was the same animators that worked on all of these. And so they did all of the, they essentially learned how to animate and how to make things by putting them out there. And you look at those early cartoons and they're, they're nothing compared to even Snow White or even, you know, the stuff that, that Disney does now. But they had to go through that and they had to put those out there and they would get feedback and they would make the next cartoon even better than the last cartoon. So if that's good enough for um, Walt Disney or the Disney Animation Studios, it's good enough for you. And I'd say just don't self-edit finish your stuff, put it out there for feedback, but keep moving forward and keep making the next thing. Don't get hung up on, on trying to make something perfect. I have two, I have two more things to add here. Yeah. Love, I love that advice, Jake, by the way. I think it's really good. Um, a lot of people put pre- pressure on yourself, and I'm just lo- looking at his question again and kind of reading the tone there. And if mm-hmm. you're worried that it's going to fail, like right when you're starting, you're like, okay, half the time this doesn't work already your anxiety is going to come up. And I don't think, I mean, some kind of anxiety or being nervous about a piece is okay. But if you, if it gets to be too much doubt while you're creating, you can't go all in on a piece. And so Mm -hmm. two steps to eliminating that from the work. The first thing that I recommend is considering, consider almost everything you do a practice or a test. And that's how I got through the beginning stages of watercolor because I was so bad. And so many times I would have an idea in my head of what it's going to be and it wouldn't come out on paper. And then I would just get so frustrated until I started saying, okay, this is just a test. And then the ones that would work, that would be the fit. I would be lucky and say, okay, it's finished. That's what I wanted. Other times I would do literally 10, 12 versions of the same painting. And every single time I'd be like, okay, didn't work, but that was just a test anyway. Mm -hmm. So now I can move forward. And it took all the pressure off me to get it right. And that's one of the keys in watercolors. You cannot be nervous about what's going to happen. So it was just an amazing thing. And then what I learned from that is do multiple versions, at least two. There's never an easier way to tell what is working and what isn't when you have something to compare it against. But if you just Mm -hmm. have one and you're like, God, I don't know what's wrong with it. Why doesn't it work? But if you got another one next to it, you can say, okay, you know, the perspective really helps on this one or the character you know, pose is better on this one and it's working. So, mm-hmm. you know, give yourself a couple of options as, again, as practices or tests, and then you can post those online and say, hey guys, it's just a sketch. You know, there's no pressure on you at that point mm. to make something great. There's, that's good. That's good. Let me add one more thing. Um, that there, when I was working on my my first, essentially, well, it was my, actually my second children's book, but um, Armadillo Chili, I, that was back in the, would have been early 2000s and uh, living in California. And um, I was drawing the characters and I knew that some of my drawings just weren't right. You know, you have that feeling where you, you, you know, that you're not drawn, you're not conveying the, the, the feeling that you're trying to convey in your mind. And for me, mechanically, my, my drawings weren't uh, right. And so I didn't know what to do. I was stuck. I kept trying to redraw. You know, when you're, when you're drawing over the same lines over and over again and you're not changing anything, you know, because you don't know what to change, you're, you're stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And I finally asked this friend who, he, he was, I knew he was a better um, draftsman than me. He's better at drawing. But I was ahead of him in my career. So I was kind of like, you know, we'd always talk and he's like, wow, you know, you've really made it and you're, you're doing the illustration thing. And, and, and finally I'm like, Russ, will you draw over? Will you fix these? Will you tell me what I'm doing wrong? And he's like, well, I don't know if I should, you know, you're the illustrator kind of a thing. And it was a humbling experience because I had to just, Mm -hmm. I was frustrated enough to finally just say, look, um, yeah, his name is Russ McMullen. I don't know if he ever listens to our podcast, but um, shout out to Russ. Yeah, shout out to Russ. But um, he he drew over, and uh, he really helped me on on those. And and I've talked about this too. Like you've drawn over mine. I've I've had I've sent you a lot of stuff, Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, like how would you solve this hand in this position? How would you solve this body position? I don't like what I have here. 
and you know you've got that animation background where you've just said this is how i would do do it differently and i look at yours and i'm like ah that's it right there you know <laughs> and so if 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 you're not getting good feedback even if if you think it's not good enough um to to get feedback you're wrong it we're all at different stages and what it what it is is that you're afraid of i would imagine i'm going to assume you're afraid of um how it's going to feel to have someone take your work and work on it or tell you what's wrong with it. And that's the thing. If you want to move forward that you've got to get over, um, is you can't create, you can't become great by yourself. You need other people. Yeah. I should, I should add that Will's never asked me for, (laughs) I would, I would, I would, um, (laughs) you know, um, cause you're good at it too. So (laughs) me me and David, me and David Hone have done that a ton. And it's, I agree with you. It's, it's such a quick way to success. Well, I remember I was having trouble with a beach scene and I just could not, for some reason, make the water look right as it came up on the sand. Uh I don't know what it was, but I was just a block and I sent it to to David Hone. He solved it in, I'm serious, less than five minutes. He sent (laughs) it back a rough sketch. I think he even did it with his finger on his (laughs) iPhone, you know? But it was exactly what I needed. I just did, I just needed a reworking of that, you know, somebody else's fresh perspective, and it immediately solved it. And then I was off to the races and did sort of my version of what he had done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have I have no problem with and, that anymore. And you become as an artist, you become an amalgam of all the 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 helpers along the way, and you get to take credit for the current position that you're in as an artist. Mm-hmm. But you've mm-hmm. had help. If you, I mean, if you get to a high level, you will have had a lot of help. Yeah, it's good to be able to accept it. Can I bring Can up? I, let me th- go ahead, Lee. Go ahead, Lee. I just want to add one thing that I was I was having this conversation with David Home this past week. This is just just a, sort of a non sequitur, but we are the only. I think one of the only businesses where we create every single bit of a product and you're sort of expected to do it all by yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Jake, Jake was talking the other day about watching a movie and you watch all those hundreds of people that, you know, are in the, in the credits, uh-huh. but not, not us. No, no, no. I've got to solve it. And everybody has to shut up and nobody can help me. Right. I, there's no other job like that where, where, where you're just completely independent and there's no other people. I mean, can you guys think of another job where literally, Mm -mm. I mean, even like, even people who are by themselves, like, say like a boxer, for example, there's nobody in the ring with them. But then you look at the people that come down the little aisle with them before they box, they have a whole crew around them. You know what I mean? There's trainers and all this stuff, but not us. We're just solo. And it's just a weird, weird thing. I think we got to get through. Well, and to make matters worse, because it's not, because it's not taught as a serious subject in high school where your, your artwork is graded you know with a red marker like i wouldn't draw like you know or drawn over you know where the teacher's like going here's a better way to do it because it's so personal and allowed we're allowed to fester in our own filth you know we're allowed to just just you know i mean really (laughs) that brings me to 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 one of my beefs and you guys have heard this before i don't think we talked about on the podcast i we did a i brought this up at that byu um symposium thing that the three of us did Uh but it's like compared to all other um all other disciplines like creative disciplines art is the one where you typically when a person enters college they have had very little formal training they've done it a bunch on their own they've filled sketchbooks possibly they've taken art classes at high school but Think about that person versus the person who is at a college level playing piano or playing violin or playing a sport. Chances are that person has had private tutorials and lessons. Um, they practiced, you know, a couple hours every day um, since they were five, <laughs> essentially, you know, or more. Um, they've had, you know, they've gone through and learned all the fundamentals before they've ever gotten to college. Um, they could read music, they can um, sight read, they can play a piece, they understand the emotion behind it. When they're coming to college, having all this experience, you get a college student who wants to study art, and oftentimes you're teaching them, like, here's how you draw light on a ball. 
and here's the you know here's the cast shadow this is stuff they could have learned like in sixth grade right mm-hmm. if they were following sort of the same path as as a musician you're teaching them you know um here's how color works uh here's you know here's how color works in certain lightings here's how composition works you teach them all these fundamental things so by the time they get out of college they've essentially just learned um the fundamentals <laughs> right you know and then it's time for them to start like putting in a portfolio i would say on the flip side though um you do get in in the i think in music in music possibly in dance um as well you do get people who can sight read music and can play any piece that's put in front of them but you ask them to write their own music right and it doesn't it doesn't it's nothing on par with you know something done professionally right. on the flip side because a, a typical college student entry level college student artist has been drawing whether it's you know their own comics or their own you know anime characters their their whole life has pretty much been spent like making up stuff and and coming mm-hmm. up with their own drawings they do have that that imagination factor i think is is higher so they can mm-hmm. they can go off and and like express their own ideas and and do their own things so that so that's that's sort of the, i think the, the 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 balance um you want to find is that you have a you you have these fundamentals you understand you know how the craft works then you have the imagination and your own ideas that you could bring to it and so that's where you get these real rock stars that come out of college where they have all these cool ideas they picked up these fundamentals right away they understand it they apply it and then boom they're ready to go mm-hmm. so you know one one thing that i would add to that is or just as a, a way to think of it is i i've always thought that you know as, as a I, I played the cello in high school and in, mm-hmm. and in my county orchestra it's i would say that the analogy between music and and visual arts is is more like a playing music is more like figure drawing where mm-hmm. you have the you have the piece of music you're playing or you have the figure to look at and draw mm-hmm. but you're, you're right still the, the creative side is not really being exercised as much in figure drawing um, well it, i know it's it's, it's like you go to a, a piano performance and you're listening to someone play you know schubert or mm-hmm. or or Mozart or something like that. They're playing a piece. They're bringing a little bit of their, you know, the way that they're gonna they're gonna play it to it. But essentially, they're playing a piece. The art equivalent of that, of that would be: here's my painting of water lilies, uh, you know. But it's my right. version. It's got a little bit of my flavor to it. But essentially, it's water lilies. Like right. nobody would do that. You don't expect that in art. You want to see something brand new, something created, like fresh. And, and, uh, and it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just a little, little, little frustrating, I, I would say. Right. Um, I guess on the flip side too, like you do have, I mean, look at the kids who have a garage band and they start out playing covers, but mm-hmm. then one kid's like, Hey, I actually have like this one piece I've been working on and boom, you know, they they make an album, and now you have Weezer, right? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, it's brilliant. It doesn't, you know, it's, it it has all these components of everything that they've listened to, but it's something new, and um, and so that's what I think. That's what artists are. I think what you should be shooting for is be the Weezer of art. Yeah. Be, <laughs> you know? be the wheeze. Be the wheeze. Well, it goes back to the, the people that generate the most creative ideas are the ones who um, usually make the most amount of money. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about the idea creation. And we had a lot of students, both when I was a student and as a teacher, um, that were great in figure drawing class. They were great doing still lifes. And as soon as we moved into this junior year of of actually having to illustrate concepts, those people sometimes quit. I mean, I mm. know several people that just oh, were like, yeah. this is stupid. I hate this. It's, I don't want, this is dumb. Like, why yeah. is the person that used to, I used to beat them on the grades now doing, getting praise from the teacher when, and I'm not, you know, and it's like, well, we've switched into a completely different thing. 
Right. It's called idea creation. And right. you you need to um if you if you're gonna be an illustrator, you have to embrace that. And I think to bring it bring it back to the original question, um, if you're always trying to perfect, you know, a comic page and you're trashing a comic page and you're like, let's try it again, let's try to perfect it. Yes, you're you might be getting better on the technical aspects of the art, but your imagination isn't growing because you every time you're trying to solve a new problem with storytelling, like, okay, we've got to move this story forward. We got to show a character doing something completely different. You know, last page was uh, two characters fighting. This, this page is two characters eating a sandwich. How do I make that interesting? Like you're solving more creative problems um, the, as you move forward. And there's, uh, you know, you don't get that if you're stuck on just trying to figure out that fight scene. Right. And, and so I think what you do is you do give it your best shot. You move forward down the line. You're going to have another chance to do another fight scene or another sandwich scene. And you take the lessons you learned from the last one that, that you, you, you know, maybe something was successful about it and maybe you know how to fix something and, uh, and you can make the next thing better, but you really want to grow that, that those imagination muscles. And we sure can talk. <laughs> I know. Huh? <laughs> we talk. I was just looking at the time. We're like, we're we're getting close to an hour. I'll, I'll let our our audience know at that that BYU symposium thing that we did. We showed up with no visuals and no lecture and talked for like three three hours. Oh, like two, hours. <laughs> two hours. <laughs> two okay, hours. Yeah, I knew it was, I knew it was a lot. Yeah, two hours straight, no prep, no visuals, and uh, it was pretty good. I, I think they liked it, but. I noticed they, they didn't invite us back for any more. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. They deleted all my email accounts. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Okay, so let's do, um, let's do this last question from Seth. Traditional versus digital. Can there be only one? Or can there be more than one? Uh, hi, guys. Love the pod. I love the pod. like that little... Pod <laughs> Speak of that, I'm going to digress here for a second. Do you guys ever, like when you introduce yourself, do you ever say, hey, yeah, uh, you know, people say, so what do you do? Do you ever say, oh, yeah, I podcast? No. Like, no. Never. We've I never, done. I never even remember that I do it. No. We've done over 80s of 80 of these. And, and I, I always forget, like, hey, I'm Jake Parker. I'm an illustrator. I'm a comic artist. Um, I never throw in their podcaster. <laughs> you know why I think we don't? It's because you can have a podcast that has like three views, you know? That's true. And so it's like, it means meaningless. If you well, said you funny. had a radio program, then there's, there's probably a little bit more mm-hmm. investment there. But because the, the barrier to entry and creating... A podcast and uploading is so low. I've noticed it when I, when I tell people the details around it, when it finally does come up, you sound like a big liar because they're like, I was like, oh yeah, I got a podcast. And they're like, oh, how's, how does it do? And like, well, it's got about a million downloads. And they're like, okay, what else? <laughs> sound like a lot, total liar. Yeah, because everybody <laughs> says it's a, got a billion downloads. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jillions. Nice job, liar. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you never mentioned it. You got a million downloads. I mean, I agree it sounds suspect, but we actually do have almost a million downloads. I think we've we've passed a total million downloads, which you know, I'm I'm cool with that. That's good. Glad that we have people that that suffer through this with us. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, for all you people out there. Uh, okay. Hi guys. Love the pod. Here's my question. I drew a lot as a kid and picked it back up as an alternative to all the screen time in my full-time job. If I prefer pen and ink and watercolor to spending more time on a screen learning to digitally paint, am I out of luck as a potential professional children's book illustrator? Aside from outliers like Harry Bliss, do you see the need? Do you see do you need to go digital if you want to be taken seriously? Thanks. So, I love this question, by the way. Yeah. A uh, person has a, uh, spends a lot of screen time on their day job, loves getting away from the screen and creating traditionally. Would, you know, has these aspirations to go pro as, a, as an illustrator, would like it if that was their full-time gig, but they don't want to be on a screen all the time. Yeah. So what do you guys, what do you guys think? There is a love-hate relationship between 
digital and traditional in the in the publishing world as I see it. And mm-hmm. what it really comes down to is early on, they hated if you work traditionally and, and many many clients just simply won't work with you. And that's not necessarily Wait, the art they directors. Hated if you, early on, they hated if you worked digitally? If you worked traditionally. Oh, traditionally. Yeah, because because there's a there's an expense to sending in traditional work. There's a mm-hmm. there's a um, a risk of destroying or losing artwork, and there's a, you know the FedEx fees right. and packaging and sending back and stuff. And so when you're starting photographing out, it and scanning it, and- yeah. When when you're starting out, um, they almost don't ever want to work with you unless you're working digitally to avoid those costs and those risks. However, the higher, and it's it's a dichotomy because the higher you go in the children's book world, the more they're willing to make those accommodations to just like bend over and let you, I mean, bow down, not bend over, bow down and say, you can do whatever you want because you've got this name and they love mm-hmm. traditional work. They love the look of it. They love the, they, I have talked to, I've asked this question of my editors for my YouTube channel before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've at, I, I, one time I polled a bunch of editors and they told me stories like, Oh, when, Oh, so-and-so we work with so-and-so. And when they send in their art, it brings people in from different floors of the building to come see it. Mm. You know, they fawn wow. over it. They bring it into the conference room and like, look, so-and-so sent their artwork in. Oh my gosh, look at this. And then, <laughs> and they, so they love it, but they're early on. It's tough. So, I would say in general, you're better off working digitally in the beginning and saving your traditional dreams for later on. That would be my response. Here's a clarification. Um, can you work traditionally but deliver digital files? Like I think that's the that's the requirement now. I mean, a lot of my contract says that's what you will deliver digital files. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be sending that stuff. Right. I yeah, so I I don't think I don't know how many of these places are are set up to take traditional stuff these days. Maybe ten years ago, they were still getting, um, you know, watercolors ma- mailed into them or something. But mm-hmm. I mean, scanners aren't too expensive. Um, if you work really big, you know, you, you're going to have to find a good photographer to like photograph your piece. But you're gonna you're gonna want everything to go. At least for me, I'm going to want to see everything on a computer screen because it's going to, the editor's going to look at it on a computer screen. You know, the art director's going to look at it on a computer screen. Um, so you, you have, you have more control and you want to like send them the thing that you know they're going to be like, be like looking at. The other thing too, it's like so much easier to fix mistakes or take notes, you know. If they if all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, uh, red isn't selling. We need blue T-shirts. Uh, your character needs to have a blue T-shirt. Can you go back and change everything to blue? I'm not going to say it's piece of cake digital, but it's a heck of a lot easier than changing blue and with watercolor. You know, right? Like, and I that's the pro- I was that. that was something I was going to bring up is you're going to bump into that. There's an expectation that you can just remove a character that you can add you know, um, move things around because you're working digitally. So even if you're working traditionally, you have a great way of photographing your work and sending in digital files. You're going to get art directors that are going to say, Hey, just slap this artwork around and move this here and move that there. And you're going to be like, I I can't Mm because it's traditional. And they're going to go, wait, what? (laughs) Um, And so that's a problem. It's just going to be easier for you if you work digitally, which there's an inherent problem there in that sep- I think I believe separating yourself stylistically in a digital rendering creation process is tougher than than using traditional methods. Well, yeah. I think I think you need to add a little bit there. I mean, I think somebody could work traditionally, but they need to get comfortable with editing tools that are digital. So the last stage may need to be an adjustment yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I take out my watercolors all the time and, and do all that stuff, take out a character, move a building, change the perspective. But you just have to be familiar with how to do that too. So there's going to be some learning, even if you want to stay all traditional, if you want to work as an illustrator. So, so Lee, if you were... If you, I'm going to interview you right now. 
because mm. you you need to be grilled on this. I need okay, you to defend, defend your position. So you're <laughs> you create an illustration of a little house. You know, one of your sh- stupid little cute houses. <laughs> a little yeah. house. <laughs> yeah, no perspective, just a yeah. black roof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's some kids out front, and they're overlapping the house. And um, your editor w- wants you to take one of the kids out. You've painted it. So you know how to manipulate that and keep your textures. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that's what re- someone really needs to do is just learn how to like yeah, maybe I mean, illustrate um, a character on another piece of paper and then and then in Photoshop take that character and put it in and stuff like that yep, exactly. for consistency? Okay. Exactly. How do you hold the text? I mean, those become really specific questions. It's a great question. Like, okay, if I take this character out, but it still needs to have that watercolor texture, how do I do that? And I think within, you know, if you just barely know Photoshop, I think within three weeks to a month, you could know all that stuff. Like, cause there's only a few things I need to be able to take something out. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to put something in and I need to be able to slightly adjust things. And so yeah. how does that, well, it's not many, it's not many tools that you need for that. Do they need to learn how, smart objects? No, smart objects is the dumbest thing ever, which is an oxymoron. <laughs> I hate those smart objects. I mean, I guess there's a reason for them in graphic design, maybe you're a, a little des- bit for holding. You're a destroyer. You use a destructive process, Lee. No, no, no. I keep the smart object on the lowest level. Then I take a dumb object, basically. I copy the smart object, make make it dumb, and then that's the one that I edit. So I always have the original. <laughs> I would say um, it would be very helpful the two programs I think you need, um, Photoshop and InDesign. And if you can get those two uh, combos, your life is going to be so much easier. Just ask Will. Like He has such a hard time. What if you can't learn InDesign? What if you <laughs> struggle with InDesign? And you, hate it? <laughs> you just got to learn. It's only the like, same thing as Photoshop. You're only using it for a very specific few things. You don't need to know everything about the program. It's pretty deep, just like Photoshop is. But, you know, in Photoshop, I only use a couple of things as, as we all do, right? We just find our set of tools that we typically need. Will's just a, a reluctant holdout of a- I hate it. <laughs> he doesn't I, want to do it. <laughs> Will, we could, we could take two days and get you up and running on InDesign, honestly. Like, let's not. Yeah. Let's let's let me have those two days. It's the worst. It's the worst. You know what? You know what? Will needs. We need to just seed Will's YouTube feed with InDesign. Um, I need to get your account. Just click on a bunch of InDesign YouTube videos, and those will just start slipping in between everything else. And pretty soon you'll be like, guys, InDesign, InDesign's it's where best. it's at. Let me tell you a great step. How I I still paint traditionally quite a bit. How I use the computer for part of the process is when I get stuck or, or there's a sort of a risky move that I'm going to make on the mm-hmm. traditional piece. Mm-hmm. I, I just take a shot with my iPhone. I put it in Photoshop. I do a rough mock-up of exactly where I'm at in the painting and what that next step is going to be, decide whether it's a good move or not. And if it is, then I paint the traditional one. And I probably do that four or five times throughout the process. And the finished painting comes along so much quicker because I'm not nervous about like, okay, I'm going to add this, this big tree here. Is that going to work you know you don't mm-hmm. know and mm-hmm. so uh and and you know sometimes the painting changes from the original sketch along the way and you make those adjustments and try stuff out so that's how another just benefit for learning these basic tools mm-hmm. yep i i, I want to say too like 10 years ago i did not know in design i was i was afraid of it i was scared of it but essentially what this program does is you can lay out an entire book in InDesign and export the PDF and export for print and, and send these files. And, and it's really just a wonderful tool. You can, you can fix something in Photoshop and then in InDesign, it automatically shows up fixed because those files are linked. It's like really powerful and really cool. Um, I didn't know it. I actually paid, um, I did a self-published project that I paid a book designer something like $6,000 to build it in InDesign. And, you know, and I was happy to because I did not have the time or the inclination to like learn it. But then, then came a project where I was like, I don't want to pay, I don't want to pay 6,000 again. Let's, (laughs) let's see if we can, let's see if we could uh, figure this out. And I ended up doing like a smaller, very simple project using InDesign and it started clicking and I watched some YouTube tutorials and I was like, oh, I get it. I understand it. 
Um, and now every, every project I do, I just dump into InDesign and it gives it that nice, like you could just see the project, how it's going to end up as a whole in that, in that thing. So I highly recommend it, especially if you're doing any sort of publishing, just to have that in your back pocket. And, and, and even like when you work with art directors who are also using it, like the way you'll just, you'll just, you, you'll know what to ask or what to talk about when it comes to that kind of stuff. You just sound more knowledgeable, which, which helps you as well. So, but if you're, you know, if you're getting towards the, the sunset of your career and, and it's feeling like uh, you don't want to you don't want to do that anymore, and you'd, you'd rather play tennis every morning. <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you don't need to learn to design. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Will, that was a dig. That's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we uh, should we wrap this up? I think we we Let's got wrap. everything in, in there that we want to do it. Those are good questions. Yo, hit it. The three-point perspective is made possible by, I'm not going to rap the, the, the outro, although it would be cool if someone wrote a, a rap for us for the outro, I would definitely do it. Um, all right, everybody, thank you for joining us. Three-point perspective is made possible by SVS Learn, Learn, where becoming a great illustrator starts. And your hosts today have been Will Terry, Lee White, and Jake Parker. I want you to go to Will Terry's website. It's willterry.com. Check out all of his artwork there. See how it goes. If if you can't do that, just go to his Instagram account at Will Terry Art on Instagram. Lee White, I want you to go to his website. It's Lee White, uh, LeeWhiteIllustration.com. Uh, if you can't do that, go to his Instagram account where he's posting sweet, sweet content on the daily, and that is at Lee White Illo. And then um, I want you to check out my website. It's JakeParkerArt.com. You can see all of my portfolio pieces up there. Uh, if you can't do that, just go to my Instagram account where it's at Jake Parker. Uh, podcast is produced by Daniel Two. That's Daniel T U. You can find his work at DanielTu.co. Special thanks to our SVS production manager David Bro for keeping things running over here at SVS Learn. And a special thanks to our social media specialist, Lisa Fott, for all that she does to get this podcast posted out there so you guys can know about it and and listen to it. Um, I think that's it, everybody. Thank you. And we will see you or talk to you next, uh, next episode. Bye.